0: That's what we've been talking about with this series we've been doing called Amago Day. Everyone say Amago Day. Imago okay, Amago Day. For those of you who've been in here uh, at, at church, what does Amago Day mean? Yeah. Image of God, and so that is that. It comes from Genesis 127, where it says that God says that He created man and woman. The author of Genesis says that God created man and woman in his image. And the word for image is the word for shadow. The first week we were in this, we had this like blinding light over onto me. And it shined a a shadow of myself onto the wall over here. And what we were talking about with that is that, that that's what God did. God, God actually, we are actually the shadow of the amazing God. The shadow is not as great as the original, but the shadow is a reflection. And so, Genesis 1, we see how a person is valuable no matter who you are, no matter what race you are, no matter what your background are, you are valuable and worthy because God has created you in his image. That's amazing, huge. But the pro, there's a problem. The problem is Genesis 3. We decided we no longer wanted to follow God's shadow. We no longer wanted to let him be the one who was directing us, and we wanted to carve out our own shadow. And that shadow has been following us for the rest of our lives. Throughout our life, we have this reality that we have broken, this cosmic rift between us and God. And the sad part is, is that when we go through the whole of our life and we get to the end of our life, if we die and that's still the shadow that's the loudest statement over us, Scripture describes hell as being a place where all of a sudden the image of God is no more, and all that's left over is just that rebellion. I don't know if you as an adult, I mean, you have to, I mean, I have, you've seen parts of your life where, where you've, it's gotten, your decisions have gone sideways, and you eventually get to a place where you're like, okay, we, we got to go a different course. This is messed up. The description that we see of hell in the Bible is, is when you take all of the hope and all the image of God and all you have is that sorrow of the end of that road, the end of the brick wall, and like, why is, has it come to this? That that's the picture of eternity. But see, Genesis 3 has, has two realities of hope for us. One is that no matter who you are, no matter what you believe, you're still created in the image of God, which means that you don't have to be a Christian to be a, have good in you. You probably know a lot of people who aren't Christian, and they're great because God's image is in there. But at the end of the day, you know that there's something that's not right, something that's not complete, and, then, and Genesis 3 tells us that, that, that the fact that all of our lives, that there's a consequence of this poisoning that took place when we made our own decisions in rebellion to God. And it, actually, it was Satan's temptation that bred, brought us to that point. And that his target was not a church. His target was not a synagogue. His target was a family. And he destroyed something in that family. He tells in Genesis 3, he says that, that Eve, childbirth, bringing kids into this planet, which is something that I crafted you to do, is not going to be something that's all joy. There's going to be pain and sorrow as part of the process. Adam, you're going to be working the fields, which there's nothing wrong with work, but work is going to be something that you're going to hate. It's going to be toil and labor. It's something that, that is detestable to you. And on top of that, your guys' relationship's going to be messed up too. Eve, you're going to want to control your husband. Adam, you're going to want to dominate your wife. And your control and your domination are two things I didn't create you for, but they're side effects of the poisoning that's taken place in this. And if that was the end of the story, that would be bad news. But the cool thing is, is that in Genesis 3, there's Genesis 3.15, which is in a dark, dark, dark world, there's like this tiny, tiny, tiny glimmer of hope. And it's the fact that that's not the way that God's gonna let the story be ended. In Genesis 3.15, we see this. This is God talking about the devil, talking to the devil. And I will put hostility between you and again, that you is the devil between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. Her offspring will attack your head, and you will attack her offspring's heel. Because again, we, we, the devil's show, showing up as a, as a serpent, right? And so what he's saying is this you're going to swipe at the offspring of Eve's heel, but they're ultimately going to crush your head. So Eve's like, sweet, we've got a kid now. His name's Cain. He's going to be the one. Was he the one? No. Later on, we see this awesome guy named Abraham. Was he the one? Nope. Moses? Nope. Every person throughout the Bible has issues. They're not going to be the one who's ultimately going to be able to undo what Satan did. That's because the person that he's talking about here is Jesus. And that makes the whole thing make sense. I will put hostility between the devil and the woman, between her offspring, which ultimately is going to be the savior of the world, Jesus. Jesus will attack Satan's head, and he will attack Jesus' heel. Okay, now if I had, let's see here, there's car- Carlos, could you stand up for a sec? This is Pastor Carlos Garcia, give it up for Carlos. <laughs> Carlos has got a famous expression. Um, if I said, um, you know what, uh, I, I'm going to like put a throttle on this car, what would you say? About I your head? Okay, have a seat. <laughs> he brings the New York into every staff meeting, it's awesome. Now if Carlos had a baseball bat, and he came up and he hit me in the heel, you know what I would do? I would cry like a little baby. And you would all laugh. You're like, (laughs) because you're sick. But you'd hit me in the heel and I would cry. If Carlos said, how about I baseball bat your head? And he hit me in the head, I would not be crying. I'd be unconscious, maybe worse. Because a head wound is much worse than a heel wound. And that's the point. In Genesis 3.15, this is it. Satan is going to do something that is going to attack Jesus. And we see that what that was, was the cross. Satan thought he won, but it was not a win because it was just a strike to his heel. What was the win was the fact that this word for attack means crush. Jesus was going to crush the work of Satan, the work of death, the work of sin, that it was gonna be undone. Which brings us to a toolbox. Oh yeah. This here is the manliest toolbox I know. It's like this 1950s, 1960s era toolbox, and it, it's a toolbox that's super cool. The reason I bring this out is because Adam and Eve handed down a toolbox, and the next set of parents handed down a toolbox, and that's, you actually, everyone here, um, were given a toolbox. How many of you received like, a tool from a dad or a grandpa when you like, got married or you left the house, you got some tools from your parents? Okay, yeah, me too. But, or, actually, I, I didn't, but, but I'm not jealous. The thing about it is this, every one of us has this toolbox, right? We get this toolbox of of things, and in life, we don't just get actual physical tools, we actually get a toolbox that is something, um, also the way our parents handled situations. Like, there's tools in here about how, how to handle, like, like, celebrations, how to handle conflict, tools that your parents gave you on how to de- handle uh, uh, wonderful moments in life and terrible moments in life. And some of the tools that our parents gave us, just like the physical tools that we may have inherited, are great. Like, your work ethic may have come from your mom or your dad. That's awesome. But some of those tools, just like the physical tools that they gave us, are garbage, and they need to be, like, sold at the next garage sale. Some, some of the tools on how we handle conflict marriage or celebrations or whatever, actually were, they weren't helpful to our parents and they certainly aren't helpful to us. But when we were 18 or whenever we left the house, we got a toolbox full of it. And now we're using those tools in our own family. And actually, believe it or not, if you have kids in the house, you're populating a toolbox. You're actually putting tools in here one by one for how to handle conflict, how to handle situations, everything else. If you're not married, or if you're married and you don't have any kids, you received a toolbox from your parents, and you're operating off of this top shelf throughout your life. What if we evaluated the tools and we asked some questions like, are they helpful? Because again, some of us received ones that weren't. Some of the tools that we received that weren't very helpful are coldness. Like we have like uh, this coldness about us. Maybe, uh, Maybe your mom or dad had this, where just like showing affection and love was just not safe. And so you picked that up, and that's a tool. Like, in order for me to get through life, I need to make sure that I'm as cold as I could possibly be because I can't afford to make, be vulnerable. If I'm vulnerable, that's going to be something where I'm going to put myself at risk. Some of you, had, it might have been something else. It might have been negativity. Like, you, you, you hated it when you were growing up with your mom or your dad, but you find yourself doing the same thing. Like, everyone's having a great time, and you're, and you're like, at a restaurant, and everyone's like, this place is the best. You're like, no, I've had better. I'm going to get salmonella. I know it. Six flags, it's amazing, six flags is great. This is unsafe. (laughs) I doubt if this is even union approved. This is terrible, right? That might be you. Negativity, everywhere you go. You might be someone who worries all the time and that was a tool given to you by your parents and you walk with fear. Now I'm already seeing some parents do this where you're looking over at the person or nudging. Don't do that. Just let this be. Let's just be about you, okay? Not about them. Worry, fear is something that that we we actually have received as a tool. Uh, Tendency to give up. Some of you, again, have great work ethics, but some of us in here, honestly, when it comes to, uh, we've watched parents who had a situation like, you know what, that's it. I'm not gonna put one more second into this. I'm done with this. I'm done with this house project. I'm frustrated, it's not going anywhere. I'm just gonna light it on fire. I don't care, I'm done, I'm moving on. And that was something that you took as a tool as you moved on. Mean-spirited. Some of us grew up in families where it was almost like it was a contest. Who could make the kid cry more? Especially around the holidays. It's like, oh yeah, Uncle Larry comes over. He's gonna make us all cry. It's his thing. And we actually adopted that so that whether it's teasing just relentlessly or anything else, we find being mean-spirited one of the tools that we inherited in the toolbox when we left the house. For you, it might be ease with sinful habits. Again, it might be something where it's like, you know what? I know this is wrong, I know that it's probably wrong, but my dad did it, and he's not a bad guy. Or my mom did it, this is how she talked, she's not a terrible person, she's a good person. And for you, you might have have a total ease with something that you honestly probably wouldn't do or say in the public company of anyone else because you're like, yeah, that's kinda messed up, but it's very easy to come back to this because it's right here, I inherited this Tool. Not only that, breaking commitments. Um, you may have come from a situation where for as long, far back as you can remember, people either broke up their marriages or broke up, uh, broke up situations. And so you come into life, the toolbox that you've been given is that as an example. And you're like, there's no wonder why I'm actually finding that more of a reality. For you, it might it might be harsh actions And my dad's up, my dad um, was very, very like calm and collected, but he grew up in a situation, as far as harsh actions, but he grew up in a situation where his dad was not the harsh one. His dad was verbally abusive, but as far as harsh actions, like being brutal, that was Grandma Hilda. Woo! You better watch out for Grandma Hilda. She will take you down. Okay? And so my dad grew up in that, and he didn't want to have kids The reason he didn't want to have kids is because he didn't want to reduplicate the tools that he had been given with somebody else. But at some point he changed his mind because he had five kids, so he moved on. Harsh actions out of control. You may have grown up in a setting where like the normative is things are going to escalate quickly and everyone in this house are going to be out of control verbally or things are flying through the air, kitty cats, whatever. And it's like out of control. And you may have seen that so much that you've actually, that's a tool that you're you're using now in your world. Now, here's the good news. Genesis 315 said that Jesus was going to undo what Satan did. All the bad, this is bad, right? We can agree this is bad. Right? Yeah, this is bad. It's not good. Satan wanted to destroy us and destroy the family. What Jesus says is this I've come to bring life and have it to the full. And so, what he did after he died on the cross for our sins, he rose again, showing us that that he's going to do something, that he did something that's even more powerful than death, It's clearly more powerful than sin. And he said, I'm going away, but I'm going to leave you someone just like me. And he will be the Holy Spirit. He's going to be the counselor. You know what a counselor does? A counselor does this. Okay, so this is like uh, Monday through Friday, right? Yes, okay. This isn't helpful. Would we agree with that? Yes, this is not helpful. I I, I wish I I could stop, but I just, I mean, these things are like, again, this is the tools that I was handed. I gotcha, but I'm your counselor. I'm going to help you undo these. So these are no longer the things that are your directives in life. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The effect of the Holy Spirit is that we can actually look at coldness and all of a sudden we get traded that out with a better tray of tools. Check this out. I I honestly didn't know that this was here. I lifted the whole thing up on Saturday and I'm like, man, this is super heavy for just this top tray. And then I found out, there's a secret compartment. (laughs) Shows you how handy I am around the house. Okay, secret compartment. And this secret compartment has extra trays. Did you know that if you become a Christian, you have access to another tray? It's actually a better tray. A better tray of tools that actually have tools that are so helpful You couldn't possibly imagine, but you don't have access just to do this on your own. These are actually effects of the Holy Spirit in our life. Like instead of coldness, we can have love. You might be one of the people that you identify as like, yes, I have zero ability to show affection properly. You are someone, if you are in Christ, have the ability to actually show love. You you might be someone who is like, you're super negative and everyone around you knows it. As a Christian, you have access to a better tray. That might have been the tools that you were handed, but you have access to a better tray of tools that actually equip you to have joy. And joy is not, man, everything stinks in our house. Everything's awful in this world. I'm just so happy about it. No, that's, that's delusion. You're delusional if you do that. You need help. What joy is, is this. Everything stinks right now. Let's be completely honest. This is not happy. This is painful. However, I have access to a better tool than just negativity. I actually can have joy, not in the situation's circumstances, I can have joy in the fact that in this situation, I know this isn't the end of the story and I know a savior who's going to make all things right. So I can have joy even as garbagey as this is right now. I can actually trade out worry and fear with peace. I can actually step in and have peace in a situation where I would normally be freaking out I can actually step in, instead of having a tendency to give up, I can have forbearance and patience. And some of you may be in a situation where you're ready to throw in the towel. What if you actually had the ability to have patience and forbearance? How many of us in here struggle with patience? Okay. In the last service, someone was just like, they were so, they have such an issue with patience, they didn't even wait for me to finish the sentence, they're like, (laughs) patience. If you are someone in Christ, you actually have access to that tool. If you're someone in Christ, instead of being mean-spirited, you could be kind. And if you actually let the Holy Spirit access that part of your life, the people around you might see that first. Because if you're mean-spirited and you start acting kind, people are gonna wonder what you're on. And you can let them know, listen, you know the default me. You know what I'm normally like. I'm just accessing a better tray of tools that I could only access because of God. Not only that, you used to have an ease with sinful habits, but you no longer have an ease with sinful habits. Instead, now you're like, okay, this is normative in my family. This stuff is is the way that you normally deal with the situation. But instead of that, I'm actually going to say no to some of the things that are very natural to me that I know are sin, that I know are wrong. I'm going to give it up. I'm going to give it up. It's very easy to access because it's, it's default. This is what I was handed, but I'm going to give it up because I have access to a better tool, and that is goodness and righteousness. I, I, instead of being someone who's breaking commitments, I can actually have faithfulness, and that might be a generational changer for you. What you're putting into your kid's toolbox is actually something that may have never been modeled for you from your family, but you can actually model that in your family, in, in your, from your kids, the kids that you have. Harsh actions. Instead of harsh actions, you could be gentle. Now, it's Father's Day. Fathers come to, sometimes get the, the bad rap in different situations than my grandma Hilda and Grandpa Everett for being harsh. Dads are the, sometimes the ones that are looked at as more harsh. And I want to just challenge all the dads to bring a gentleness in. I know that we, we feel like we, we want to make sure that our kids know what's right and wrong. And sometimes we feel like the only way to do that is loud or, or angry or hardcore. And I want to challenge you instead to allow gentleness to come into the equation. You start doing that, your kids are gonna take notice, and that's gonna be a tool that you're gonna be able to put into their toolbox. Out of control is norm, but you could actually show self-control that's above and beyond your capacity. Now here's the thing. Parents, you are giving to your kids a bunch of tools. Some of the tools that we've already, I've already given my kids are garbage. I hate the fact that my kids have seen some of my actions and behaviors, and they're probably going to reduplicate them. It's already in the toolbox. I can't go back on that. But what I can do is this, I can say, I'm going to show my kids a better tray of tools where I can actually say, you know what? You already have seen the ways that I've been off the grid, the ways that I've been rebellious to God, but I wanna show you that I was wrong. I wanna show you a different way. One of the best tools my parents did for me, my parents were not perfect, but one of the best tools that they did was this, Errol, the the way I just talked to you was wrong. Errol, what I just said to you 15 minutes ago was wrong, and that's not what the Heavenly Father wants me to do. That's a lot more like my upbringing, but it wasn't like him, and I'm sorry. When my dad did that for me, he gave me one of the best tools that I still have to this day, and that's this. What does it look like when someone who's following God as a Christian fails, and then admits that they're wrong, and surrenders their life to Jesus? When that happened, all of a sudden, as an adult, when I have failed, and I've failed a lot, I have a picture of what it looks like as a Christian who's able to say, this is not the end. I can still surrender to Jesus. That is something that we can actually do for our kids. Now, if you're a Christian, I want you to step into that. This is accessible to you. If you're not a Christian, you would, be, you would honestly say, look, I, I wouldn't identify as a Christian. I'm distant from God, I know that. If that's your story, I do not want you to become a Christian today so that you can get the right side of the list. Do not become a Christian just to get, to become a better parent or a better person. If that's why you're gonna become a Christian, you're gonna hit some rough road real quick and you're gonna eject out of that situation. Don't become a Christian because of this right side of the list. Instead, look at the left side of the list. Recognize your frailty and your absolute need for God, the sin that has separated you. In the reality of your distance from God, realize that we're hopeless on our own, but Jesus made a way turn to him to receive forgiveness. And then you have access to the right side of the list, the better tray of tools that you could operate with throughout your life. Amen? All right. I'm going to pray right now. And if you're not a Christian, I want you to take this opportunity to step into that and let that be part of your story starting today. If you are a Christian, let this be a recommitment to opening yourself up to a better tray of tools provided by God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the fact that our, our sin is not the end of the story with you. That you provided a way to come in and access our lives so that you can forgive our sins. You, you, you died on the cross and you rose again. God, for anyone here who would call themselves a follower of you, a Christian, whether they're a, a single person, they're a teenager, a kid, or an adult, married, single, with kids or without, grandparents, Lord, all of us, If we're followers of you, Lord, I pray that you allow us in this moment to renew our heart's desire to become more and more like you, that the Holy Spirit will actually be our counselor in shaping the way that we interact with one another, and you could start that right now. God, in your awesomeness, in your power, you've made a way for us who are far from you to come close. God, if there's anyone here who is not a Christian, God, you've made a way that today they can know they are. You made a way, God, where today they can know that they can cross over from death to life. That's you as we're praying. Simply communicate with God that you're sorry. You're sorry for, run, for running away from him. You're sorry for being distant from him, making your shadow, your path, your way, the only way. That you put your trust, not in your ability to make things right through your own actions, but you put your trust in his work that he accomplished for you as a free gift. Ask him to forgive you. Receive his forgiveness. Receive the fresh start. And ask him through the Holy Spirit to walk with you from this point until you meet him face to face. Lord Jesus, I pray that that is the prayer of people in this room. That as of today, they could know that they're a follower of you. That they could begin those first steps. And we'll give you the thanks for all of that. You are an awesome God that we serve and it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen.